Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. doing? Can we give it up for those online joining us, y'all? Thanks for joining us being here. Uh, let's, let's have a little fun this morning. I, I want to play a little game. I'm going to share a brief three-second soundbite, and I want you to tell me which movie or which movie series it's from. Now, it's only three seconds because we don't want to get yanked off of Facebook for licensing these issues, okay? So, so, so three seconds, all right? Here we go. The first, are y'all ready for that? Y'all get y'all good? Okay, let's play. All right, first sound bite, please. Okay, y'all sleeping if y'all didn't get that. Indiana Jones, yes. Shout out to Harrison Ford in his prime. Come on. All right, y'all. Let's go with the next sound bite. Let's wake up here. Let's get this. Okay, okay, yeah, it was Star Wars, and if you didn't get that, we cannot be friends, okay? <laughs> we can't be friends. Okay, all right, so the third, se- oh, I thought that was another sound bite right there. All right, all right, I'm tripping. Okay, let me get, go ahead and with the third sound bite. Sound of music. Okay, let me stop. Let me stop. Yeah, sound of music. Yeah, we had to go old school, okay? A little bit. Now, just a little something for your Gen Zers, so in case y'all, you know, feel left, left out. Let's go with this last one here. What's that? Avengers, Marvel series. Okay, yeah, that's all good. Yeah, it's fun, right? Fun, right? It's, it's wild, though, how these movies... And soundtracks go hand in hand. It's, it's crazy. We can't have one really without the other. Can you imagine a movie without a, a good score or soundtrack? It'd be lame, right? I mean, these, these soundtracks and scores actually make the movie what it is. Soundtracks are powerful because music is powerful. It's a a brand really all in of itself that can make or break a movie. And I get it, story matters, story's good, story's important, but a good story better be backed up by a good soundtrack. I'm just saying. Why? Because at the end of the day, soundtracks matter. Over, Over the last six weeks, we've been in this series entitled Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, and we've been unpacking probably the most misused and misapplied book in the Bible. But hopefully, we're bringing a little bit more clarity. Hopefully, we're able to allow people to see Jesus just a little more clearly. And today... Today is the last week of the series, and I want to talk about the soundtrack to Revelation. Yes, the soundtrack to Revelation. I want to explore the background music that the whole of Revelation should be read from. And we find this soundtrack in Revelation 4 and 5. So buckle up, because we have two chapters to cover. That means we're going to be about, what, two and a half hours 
I'm playing around with you. You know, someone looking over to their neighbors like, did we really go back Pentecostal? Okay, no. We're good. We're good. But, but, but we're going to pray. I'm going to try my best to keep it tight. We're going to pray for Holy Spirit's guidance and for him to show up and give us what we need as we proceed with this message this morning. All right, so pray with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. We bless your, your holy name. We pray, Father, that we have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, the heart to receive all that you want to teach, to activate, to inspire this morning. In Jesus' name. And the church said amen. 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 To recap where we are in Revelation, in case for y'all who haven't been here, okay, Jesus just got done. He just, you know, finished dictating seven letters to seven churches in modern-day Turkey, okay? Seven, he dictated seven letters to John, not to Siri, because it would be all the way wrong, okay? But he, he dictated it to John, okay? And John, he wrote these letters, and he sent them to these seven churches. And these letters from Jesus were very important because attached to them was hope. Attached to them was encouragement. Not only challenge and rebuke, which are important, but comfort and promise, because it's, it was hard, y'all, to be a Christian back in the day. Back in the day, it was really hard to be a Christian. You could have gotten killed for bearing the name of Jesus. You know, there are all kinds of things out there meant to distract you from seeing Jesus all the more clearly. Kind of sounds a lot like what we deal with today, right? I don't know about you, but one of the Common denominator temptations that the enemy throws my way to get me from seeing Jesus clearly, to to pull me away from seeing Jesus clearly is to make it all about me. Yeah, to make it all about me. And as a result of this, you know, this me-centeredness versus God-centeredness, I can land in this place of me-centered worship where I am basically choosing to spend my attention, my affections, and my focus. It's all on me, 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 and my circumstance, rather than on God and what he's done and what he will continue to do. For example, when I go through, um, you know, a, a hard time, or maybe just a regular time, let's get real. When I go through just life in general, there's a temptation to, to really make it all about me and start complaining, criticizing, grumbling, condemning even, you know? That's all a byproduct of me-centered worship. And living in this pandemic, I feel it's, it's actually amplified me-centered worship in all of us, where we've all grown a little bit more maybe selfish and, 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 and making it more about me, 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 I, I, I. Okay, maybe not you, but your neighbor. But, but for real, for real, the me-centered worship happens all of the time and can happen to the best of us. And if I'm being honest, I can get real tired of this me-centered worship real quick. And I think you can too. It's pretty played out, right? Ask yourself, what is the soundtrack that I've been listening to lately? What's the soundtrack I've been listening to like lately. Is it a me-centered soundtrack or is it a God-centered soundtrack? 
What songs on my playlist do I just need to delete? And we learned that the church in the early days, and when, church, when, when Jesus dictated those seven letters, then we know that those churches were struggling with me-centered worship. You know, think about the church of, of Ephesus, the church to Pergamum, the church to Thyatira, the church to Laodicea. They were all basically saying like, hey, I see you about that me-centered life, meaning I see that you are all about yourselves and wanting to do what you want to do. And as a result, you're in a pretty bad place. As a result, you're, you're not really doing well. Instead, you know what? Focus on me. Focus on Jesus. Focus on God. Bring your attention to me so that you can be about that life to the full. And Jesus, y'all, he wants so much, so much to, to free us from this me-centered life, this me-centered worship that not only did he dictate seven letters to John, but he allowed John a behind-the-scenes pass to something extraordinary, to something incredible, something that I believe will help us shift our focus from me, 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 centered worship to he, 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 he worship. And it's found in Revelation 4 and 5. And to help simplify, Revelation 4 and 5 can be broken down in three parts. Three parts. One, the picture. Two, the problem. Three, the promise. The picture, the problem, and the promise. And I also want to give a brief caveat and just say that a lot of what we talk about, a lot of what we're going to talk about will sound super out there if you've never read Revelation 4 and 5. Or maybe if you have, it could still sound super out there, right? So I'm going to do my best to help contextualize all the apocalyptic symbolism. I'm not going to have you say that, but apocalyptic symbolism, because there's a lot of imagery that stand as symbols that I want to help break down and contextualize. Okay, so first, the picture. Let's talk about the picture. The picture allows, the picture that Jesus allows John to see is nothing short of breathtaking, y'all. I mean, there was a door that opened right before John, and as soon as John walks through the door, his whole reality changed. He was in the spirit, and as a result, he, was, he saw what he saw was crazy. He saw a throne in the center of the throne room and two concentric circles. And let's check out what he saw first off. Revelation 4.2, it reads this. Instantly, I was taken to the spirit realm, and behold, I saw a heavenly throne being set in place and someone seated upon it. Who's seated upon the throne? None other than the Lord God Almighty, God the Father, who's enthroned at the center of the cosmos. What else does John see? Let's, let's check out. Let's read on. It, it reads this. His appearance was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. Surrounding the throne was a circle of green light like an emerald rainbow. John wasn't saying that these colors were coming from crystals and carnelian gemstones. No, he was saying that his appearance, God the Father who was seated in the throne room, his appearance radiated like these magnificent colors. It was the best description John had to use. He was basically 
almost blinded by the splendor of these majestic and magnificent colors. This is crazy. And it's important also to note that God the Father was what? He was seated. He was seated, meaning he was at rest, meaning he wasn't shook up by all the worldly events of the day. He wasn't pacing around the throne room because of the pandemic. He wasn't worried about the recent election. He wasn't even worried about Harry, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's recent interview with Oprah. He wasn't even worried. No, why? He was seated at the throne room where he stays the entire time. Our God, the Father, is at rest. He is in a calm state. He is, he is large in charge and chilling, doing just fine. And John, John sees more in the throne room. Let's check it out. Revelation 4 and 5. And pulsing from the throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder and voices, or in other translations, sounds. And burning before the throne were seven blazing torches, which represent the seven spirits of God. Burning before the throne, blazing torches, represent seven spirits of God, which is all symbolism for who? Holy Spirit, for Holy Spirit. Remember, Revelation is full of imagery, right? And Holy Spirit, he's represented as seven blazing torches, seven, the number of perfection, perfect spirit, Holy Spirit. So the first concentric circle, so you have God the Father and Holy Spirit right there in the center, in the throne right there. And then the first concentric circle John sees, he describes as such. Revelation 4, 6 through 8, around the throne and on each side stood four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature resembles a lion, the second an ox, the third a human face, the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings full of eyes all around and under their wings. I wonder if John soiled his garments at this point here. <laughs> My goodness. So, so you have four living creatures, four creatures that resemble cherubim. I believe that they're cherubim surrounding the throne, okay? That's what they do. And, and what do we see them doing in the throne room? Let's check it out. In 4.8, it says this, they worshiped without ceasing day and night, singing holy Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the was, the is, and the coming. In Hebrew linguistics, to say holy, holy, holy three times like that meant that you are the holiest. There's no one holier than you. If it was holy, yeah, you'd be some holy. If it was holy, holy, you're pretty holy. You're pretty much a big deal. Holy, 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 it's a wrap. It's done. You are the top dog. You are on the top shelf. Nobody can come even close to your holiness. And what are we talking about when we say holy? I will do my best to define holy. And what I wrote down was complete devotion are worthy of our complete devotion, good and perfect in every way, and completely set apart. You are on a whole nother level. God, you are awesome, 
oh, Lord, you are amazing. There's nothing that can stand before you, nothing that can come near you, nothing that can touch you because you are just that good. Holy, holy, holy. And these four living creatures are worshiping. And John, he notices something else. He notices a second, another concentric circle surrounding these, these beasts. And he sees 24 elders, people, saints in the throne room with their own, in their own thrones. And they were wearing white robes, glistening white robes. These, these robes that were so white, they were almost kind of radiating beams and light and almost blinding. I mean, it was a white that we can never reduplicate here on earth. And what's it symbolize? It symbolizes purity and the righteousness of the people of God. Purity, righteousness. They are also wearing crowns. They had golden crowns on their heads. What does that symbolize? It symbolizes royalty. Royalty and being partakers of the divine nature of God. The elders represent you and I in the throne room, the people of God. So every time the living creature sang praises to God, all 24 elders, they would, they would fall down on their face and they would take their crowns and cast them to the throne. Each and every time the cherubim, the, the living creatures sang praises and then they would join in in worship. They would join in and they would say, they would sing this, you are worthy. Here's more of the soundtrack, church. You are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and for your pleasure they were created and exist. This is the picture that John sees in the throne room. He sees and hears perpetual worship going down. All of the time. This church, this is the heartbeat of heaven. This is the soundtrack of the rest of Revelation. It's important to catch the significance, though, of what John sees here. So let me spend a little bit more time here. The four living creatures, they represent the whole of creation. The whole of creation. You have four seasons, you have four winds, the whole created order represented there with those living creatures. And you have the 24 elders. The 24 elders are the people of God, all worshiping God. Why 24 and not seven? Revelations filled with sevens anyways. Why not seven? Why not 54? Why 24? I believe that the, the number 24 is likely taken from the 24 priestly order instituted by David from First Chronicles, guess where? 24. And also, another parallel is 12 tribes and 12 apostles. Yes, fun fact, I kind of de- geek out on those details, you know what I mean? I'm kind of a details guy, just ask my bosses, okay? Just ask them. Moving on, moving on though. But, but, the, but the creatures of life, the, 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 the creatures of life and the elders are worshiping, and it's significant that they're worshiping because we humans and creations here on earth, even if we don't see the value of worship here on earth, 
even if we don't see the value of God-centered worship, God-centered worship is still going down in the heavens with or without our permission. Why? Because he is the one and the only one worthy of our full praise, full adoration, full dedication, full devotion. He is the one and only one worthy of all our praise, even if we don't value it here. Even if we don't recognize it here, even if we don't like it here, worship of an almighty God is going to go down with or without our participation. It's important to realize that all the beasts, all of creation, all people worship a holy, holy, holy God. So that's the picture. The picture John sees, worship throne room worship, perpetual worship. But there's then, then there's also a problem. There's also a problem in the throne room. It's crazy, right? How can there be a problem in the throne room? Well, there was. In the right hand of God, there was a scroll with seven wax seals. And on this scroll um, that couldn't be opened, people were, they were looking for someone to open this, this scroll they found no one worthy to open the scroll in heaven, on earth, or under earth. They found no one worthy, and they were like, you know, this is a problem. This is a problem. No one can open it. So, Clay, how, how is that a problem if no one can open the scroll? Well, to understand the problem fully, we must understand what the scroll is all about. See, this scroll is like the title deed to the world. This scroll is like a title deed to the world. This scroll, it holds God's secret plans to undo and destroy all the evil in the world and help get creation back on track so there can be redemption for the world, to the world. Y'all, I don't know about you, but that scroll needs to be open now. I mean, that scroll needs to be open yesterday, okay? I'm ready for that scroll to be open. But there's no one worthy. In heaven, on earth, and under earth. That's the problem. And the reason why no one's worthy is because God made the world in such a way that his plans to undo evil in the world has to be executed or executed by a human being. See, Genesis 1 and 2 all day. He made the world and created sons of man sons and daughters, to, to rule, to reign, to have dominion. That's a $5 word right there. Someone looks at your neighbor and say, dominion. It, he made the world in such a way for us to have dominion. That's the, there's the problem. Without the opening of the scroll, there's no human found worthy enough in heaven, on earth, and under earth to open the scroll. And without opening the scroll, evil would continue to permeate and the plans to undo and overthrow evil would not happen. Getting this world back on track cannot happen without the opening of that scroll. So John gets overwhelmed. He begins to weep. Revelation 5, 4 reads this, So I broke down weeping with intense sorrow because there was no one worthy to break open the scroll and read its contents. According to John, the church was done. You can stick a fork in it. The church was doomed. The problem created a panic in John, and he couldn't see a solution in sight. How often... How often do we experience a crisis 
How often do we experience a problem with no earthly solution? And we can get caught up in the moment. We can get caught up in our emotions. We can get caught up in things. You know, how when things in the world don't seem to, to go the way you planned, you thought, you hoped for. How often do we default to emotions like depression, anger, fear, or, or go to drugs, go to alcohol, or go to uh, uh, escape in some other way? You know, yes, these problems are real. I'm going through problems myself. These problems are real. I am not trying to minimize the, the, the problems that come to us on this earth. There's, you know, maybe a terminal diagnosis that you're going through. And I get it. You know, there may be a looming divorce you are, you are dealing with or that relational tension or losing the loved one. I just did a funeral just yesterday. I understand inherently the pain, the panic, the confusion. Whatever your problem is, fill in the blank. Y'all, these trials, though, they do a great job in keeping us focused so much on the pain, on the problem, on the panic, that they, it distracts us from seeing Jesus in the moment. It distracts us from seeing what God has done and what he will continue to do. It distracts us from a God-centered worship. But one of the elders, he came over to John and said, John, hey, weep no more. Weep no more, bro. Everything is going to be good. I understand it seems gloom and doom. I understand there is no earthbound solution, no me-centered solution to your problem. I know. I know it's madness. I know it's March madness. I know Illinois lost in the second round. I know. And there's nothing you can do about that. I know. But allow me to introduce to you the promise. Hey, hey, look at the promise. Allow me to introduce to you the lion of the tribe of Judah. Allow me to introduce to you the root of David. He can open the scroll. Revelation 5, 5, it reads this. Then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, look, stop focusing on the problem, the pain, the panic, for a minute. Get out of your me-centeredness. Get out of your I, I, I world for a second and just look. Look. What's he saying? The mighty lion of Judah's tribe, the root of David. He has conquered. He is worthy. He is the worthy one who can open the scroll and its seven seals. It's important to note that what John hears in this moment is different from what he sees. See, what he hears is the mighty lion of Judah. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. The, 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 the powerful one, the dominant one, the royal one, the one who's going to come in and, and open the scroll. He is looking for a lion. He is looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John is expecting to see someone powerful and mighty standing there and he sees a young lamb, different from what he's heard. It reads this, then I saw a young lamb standing before the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. He appeared to have been slaughtered, but was now alive. 
he had seven horns. Seven perfection horns, power, perfect power. Seven eyes, seven perfect eyes, wisdom, vision, all-knowing, all-seeing. John, what John heard, y'all, was the announcement of a lion, a powerful lion. But what John sees is a slaughtered lamb. John is to hold intention with what he's heard to what he sees. And what he sees with what he has heard. You see, the lion is a symbol of, of, of power, of, of, of ultimate power, of supreme royalty, right? While the lamb symbolizes both vulnerability and gentleness, which seems radically opposed to one another. But in Jesus, it's one in the same. Because Jesus is both lion and lamb. Because get this church, the lion-like victory is only accomplished through the sacrifice of the lamb in no other way. In no other way. Over the years, there's been a lot of lion Christians. No, I did not say lying Christians. Well, some of y'all. I don't know, that's a different story. But anyway, but when I said lion Christians, you know, lion Christians, there's over the years been a lot of lion Christians, right? And, and you know, Jesus gave it, paid it all. He, there's victory in Jesus. And I believe that a lot of lion Christians believe that God's will is to be done now through brute force and violence. Hey, hey, let's force people to think and act like a Christian relationally. Politically, socially. Man, if I had a quarter for every time I saw a Christian try to force and make, 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 the world, make the world force the world to think and act like a Christian, I'd probably be in Bora Bora right now. I mean, look, listen, but aren't we supposed to be like bold as lions though, Clay? What, what, are you, what are you saying? Yeah, we're supposed to be bold as lions, but the lion-like victories only come when we humble ourselves like a lamb. What I'm not saying is to be a doormat to people and be a doormat for people. No, 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 no. But you know what? It can also swing the opposite way. This means that, you know what, because some of us, some of us need to stop this me-centered worship and saying, I'm not bold enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. No, what? You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are boldest lines. Now let's go ahead and start doing some things for the kingdom. You know what I mean? So yeah, it can swing the other way. But yeah, we are boldest lions, yes. But the lion-like victories can only come when we humble ourselves like the lamb. This means that we've got to pray that Holy Spirit empowers us like never before to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That means that we have to pray to Holy Spirit to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, to live sacrificially, to, like Di said the first week, love the hell out of people, not through brute force, but through love. But through love. Lion power, right? No, says John. Think of the lion, yes, but gaze, gaze at the lamb. And this is the promise. That through the sacrifice of the Lamb, that we too can have lion-like victory in the now over sin. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back and the people in the chat. That, you know what, that, 
that we, the promise is this, that we can live a lie like victory now over sin. But only through the sacrifice will we see the victory. So think of the lion, yes. But you know what? Gaze, gaze at the lamb. Let's check out what happens next in Revelation 5, 8. When, when, when the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the lamb, they had t- saw the lamb had taken the scroll, praise the Lord. They fell down at his feet of the lamb and worshiped him. They worshiped the lamb, the son of God. Revelation 5.8 says this, each of them had a harp and golden bowls brimming full of sweet, fragrant incense, which are the prayers of God's holy people. This gets me so excited. Why? Because guys, we, you, I, everyone in here has a part to play in throne room worship because of our prayers, of our praise. It is in the throne room right now going up to him as a sweet-smelling aroma. We, too, can join in on the throne room worship. This is the soundtrack of heaven, y'all. God-centered worship. And check out the lyrics that they sung. Check out the lyrics that we can sing today. Before we read this, I want you to count how many yous you see. Count how many yous you see. Revelation 5, 9 through 10, it reads this. And they were all singing this new song of praise to the Lamb because you were slaughtered for us. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. Your purchase You purchased us to bring us to God out of every tribe, every language, every people group, and nation. Unity, humility. You have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. Did you notice how many yous you read? So then let's get our eyes off me. This is true worship. This is true worship. Let's read the last line together in a sign of worship, in an act for an act of worship. I want to read the last line together. Chat, or those online, and in Facebook, and then your live. I want you to read this out loud with me, out loud with me. Here we go, the last line. I want us to all read it together. Ready? One, two, Three, you have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. Did you get that? Allow that to sink in. You're priests. You reign. We have dominion. All because of the slaughtered lamb all because of the lion-like victory made possible by the slaughtered lamb. We worship because he is worthy of it all and nothing else, full stop. He is worthy of it all. 
We don't worship for a quid pro quo. We don't worship to get something from God. We don't worship in exchange for anything. No, we worship simply because he is worthy. He paid the price. He stripped his divine privileges. He came to earth. He gave his life sacrificially and he is redeemed the church. He has redeemed us. So may the redeemed of the Lord say so by worshiping the the one and true living God who's worthy of our praise. You're worthy, Lord. It's not about focusing inward in our problems all the time. Stop it. No, it's about looking to him and knowing he's more worthy than the problems that you're going through. That he's more holy than all the pain, than all the pandemic, than all the panic. He's more worthy of our praise. And the victory only comes through the slaughtered lamb, the lion lamb, the Jesus, the Christ. And that's what throne room worship models for us, guys. That no matter the trial, no matter the pitfall, no matter the persecution, no matter what we are going through or not going through, when we join in a worship of Jesus, when we join in a worship of Jesus, being worthy of it all, simply worthy of it all, Holy Spirit, he will empower us to see the promise of Jesus unveiled all the more in our lives. And what's the promise, church? The promise is this, that we can live lion-like victories now because of the sacrifice of the lamb. So hey, think of the lion. Yes, think of the lion, but gaze. Behold the lamb of God. This is the revelation of Jesus right here. This is the unveiling of Jesus right here. He is the lion and he is the lamb who is worthy of it all. Listen, church, this series may come to a close, but the book, the book's not over. So may this soundtrack be something that we not only read the rest of the book of Revelation to, but live our entire lives by. Holy Spirit, thank you for allowing us to see, allowing us to grasp, allowing us to apprehend what was shown to John in the throne room. Oh my goodness, this is so good. I love, we love to see those pictures because it gives us a model. It gives us a model of how we can transition from a me-centered worship, me-centered lifestyle to a God-centered worship, God-centered lifestyle to make it about you, to know that you are worthy of it all full stop, period. We thank you, we bless you, and we want to continue to see more fruit in our lives because we made it about you. We made it about you. So Holy Spirit, empower us to see you even clearer than ever before as this throne room worship permeates in our hearts, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Life Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.